Hello and welcome back to the Muscle Engineer Podcast. I am, of course, Zotek Andre, and you're listening to episode 50 of the podcast, which is going to be a very fun one because I am joined by UK physique coach Joe Jeffrey to discuss the very interesting and, you know, controversial and sensitive topic of anabolic androgenic steroids once again. Now, I know we've had a previous one with Mike Israel, which, uh, in hindsight, listening to experts like Joe and uh, Dr. Dean St. Mart, who I hope to also get on the podcast at some point. Yeah, let's just say that that episode is probably not something you should uh, rely on as uh, a way to use <laughs> steroids. Well, no episode is. Uh, this one isn't either in the sense that this is not promoting steroid use. This is not advice. This is just purely for educational purposes only and purely just informational content. Like we are in no way, shape or form promoting steroid use. They are probably not legal in your country. And even if they are, you should probably consult with your primary physician before you do start taking any of the substances mentioned in this episode. So with that out of the way, What's this episode going to be about? Well, it's going to be a practical one, and it's going to be mostly about different strategies people use to administer steroids. So we are going to talk the blast and cruise approach, we are going to talk the (laughs) just pop some orals strategy, and we are also going to tackle a strategy which I find very interesting, which is a longer term, lower dose of the, well, you know, more moderate dose of testosterone lower compared to what many people use uh, as a sort of you know high level TRT and how these uh, approaches might compare and what are the advantages and disadvantages of each and so on and so forth. So if that topic sounds interesting to you, get a coffee and enjoy episode 50 of the Master Engineer Podcast with Joe Jeffrey. Sweet. Joe, thank you so much for joining me in the podcast. Thanks for having me, man. Thank you very much. At short notice as well, we managed to get it in pretty quick. Yeah, yeah, it's fantastic when there's such a short turnaround, especially that, uh, uh, like I said to you, I just finished you know, listening to your podcast with uh, the Muscle Mentors guys on TRT, which was fantastic, and which we will leave sort of as a recommended listening, you know, <laughs> educational material to be to be absorbed and consumed before listening to this. So uh, we'll try to not really uh, repeat what has been discussed there, but sort of continue it as a follow-up and generate some additional discussion going forward from there. Yeah, for sure. So maybe anybody that listens to this that is more so interested in hormone replacement therapy as opposed to looking at um, anabolics or whatever performance-enhancing drug as like an ergogenic or myotropic aid um, over there would be where you'd want to go if you want to see what these things are capable of like in in a medical prescriptive term anyway mm-hmm. so one question I wanted to ask I wanted to absolutely clarify for myself and everyone else who's listening like everything you were discussing there is basically a strictly replacement dose right so within physiological range like let's say if I right now at 25, I have 700, let's say, then I at 40, what I would be on what we call TRT is simply replacing what I have right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So you would take what would be the mid to upper physiological range um, for places that 
observe nanograms per deciliter this is going to be maybe it, it varies widely i see as low as 700 nanograms per deciliter right up to over a thousand nanograms per deciliter maybe 1200 as as their range that they like to put um their uh in inverted commas uh trt doses but yeah it's going to be around what would be what's called a, a physiological level which essentially for anybody listening means what you could endogenously produce yourself within that capability at some point in your life mm-hmm. but not at that stage of what we would call andropause so um as we age there is a reduction in multiple hpg axes functions including testosterone um essentially the process of dying <laughs> an elongated death i suppose um we, we are supposed to uh downregulate, so to speak um but we could sort of biochemically hack that in a way you know right okay sweet so today i mostly want to cover pretty much the most common uh, methods so to speak of using uh, anabolic agents to enhance you know muscularity basically uh within a reasonable uh range but what i mean by this is we are not talking about you know becoming an ifbb pro or becoming some huge like you know basically becoming like a high level natural bodybuilder so to speak like getting to a state that let's say if you had very very good genetics you know if you had fantastic genetics you could get to naturally but to a state where most people people probably could not get naturally you know so let's say you take your natural potential and you want to enhance it a bit but don't want to get to anything you know freak or like like most people if they see you they don't think oh my god that's disgusting <laughs> you know yeah i think when when we look at things like that a good point of reference would be using a fat free mass index so when you look at the stereotypical aesthetics crew type of physique you know the the ziz phenotype we're probably looking at about 25 to 30 on the fat free mass index which is um in the massive majority of average genetic physiological capabilities is is above what anybody could realistically reach but isn't anywhere close to that ifbb pro status yeah uh, yeah i mean uh, even a 25 ffmi i just calculated for myself i think i'm 22 maybe maybe 22 <laughs> and uh, i would say i'm probably most muscular than most people in most gyms who are are average genetics you know of course there are some people who are better but on average i would say i'm you know higher than than the normal so i think i would be a pretty good rapper let's say uh, get to that you know from 22 to 25 ffmi something like that Okay, so I will present to you some situations uh, that I noticed, and you can let me know what you think, and uh, you know, and all that good stuff. So, the first what I what I see in gyms is people using mostly orals and mostly as a well, I'm not sure why they are using it, but what I would suspect or what I would uh, guess is. Um, Let's say you wanted to enhance your natural potential a bit. And you can let me know if that's really uh, possible, if that's a good way to think about it. So let's say someone goes on a oral-only cycle. You know, Dianabol is probably the most common, but Anavar is probably the, the second most uh, commonly used for, I don't know, six weeks, eight weeks, something like that. And then they stop completely and they don't use anything. So maybe they do this once a year or maybe twice a year tops, you know. So that's eight weeks. 
and then they may be 16 weeks or something like that they are completely off what do you think about that approach and would that uh, what or let's say uh, you know long term can you really maintain um or how much can you maintain of the size that you could potentially gain in stuff you know a quote-unquote cycle like that okay cool so we were talking about oral only cycles there a few considerations to be made within that context a big one being that hbg axis dysfunction will occur with any exogenous drug use in which the dose overtakes what your endogenous production already would be um so an effective dose of anabolics is essentially going to require that because why would you want to mimic what's already happening just with with a a methylated drug you know um so you're going to have hbg axis shut down um therefore when you come off you're going to have to have a way to to deal with that the only two ways really being wait for your hormones to kick back in or to stay on you can't stay on orals forever uh, well i suppose you can but you you wouldn't want to um simply because they are methylated compounds that bring with them additional liver stress um which is why most anabolics users would tend to just stay on an injectable base um because you bypass that methylation issue um Okay, so HPG axis function being the primary concern there of why somebody may not want to just cycle oral use. Um, We also touched on um, potential elements of downstream actions of hormones being a consideration. So you look at something like testosterone, downstream we have 5-alpha reduction into dihydrotestosterone which is a an androgenic metabolite of testosterone we also have aromatase enzyme activation into estradiol which is estrogen um estrogen being a key player here based on the trend that a lot of people are enjoying anavar only or winstrol only cycles at this time neither of these drugs have any estrogenic action um and completely disrupting estrogen activity in the body is going to bring about some deleterious health concerns um, like reductions in bone mineral density, reductions in libido and sexual function, um, reductions in growth hormone IGF pathway activation or rather axes stimulation. Um, multiple hypertrophy effects of estrogen are very interesting. Um, as is glucose metabolism driven by estrogen and we could i mean i've done whole podcasts talking about estrogen so yeah yeah there's a fantastic one uh, i don't know if you were a part of it or not it was with broderick uh i can't remember if you were on uh, as well on um austin i think austin stout yeah maybe austin yeah no i wasn't on there but uh, me and not uh, me and austin actually have been through this a load of times as have me and lyle on separate podcasts so you don't necessarily want to um completely dead estrogen the methylation issues with orals so for any just recreational user of anabolics which of course i, I would never suggest um but if you were to do this using an, an oral would not be a wise choice um in terms of effective milligrams of drugs as weighed up to negative health consequences you would be much um, better off using an injectable equivalent to bypass Mm -hmm. the the methylated compound issue there right so one curiosity i have please please enlighten me is if you use something that is not derived from testosterone itself so it's not a dianabol for example how does it still shut down the hpt axis because you would think you know naively that hey if it's not testosterone then it wouldn't be suppressed my testosterone production, right? Um, well, 
within the HPG axes or the HPT axes, there's multiple hormones at play. Um, Nandrolone, fun fact, is actually an endogenous hormone. Mm-hmm. It does it does exist. Um, and all, I think, some a very simple way, I'm trying to think of this as a way as not to confuse um, any novice, um, any novices to, to biochemistry or, or androgens in general, is look at the action of what receptor do these molecules bind to and how do they mediate their effects? Um, that's oversimplified because there are ways that oral steroids are, are mediating uh, myotropic effects outside of the androgen receptor. But here we have androgen receptor binding and then therefore post-activation um, gene expression, etc., etc. all of these cascading downstream actions. Anything that binds an androgen receptor occupies that space and therefore has uh, an a metabolic process is going to disrupt HPG axis function. Mm-hmm. It's essentially that negative feedback loop of there is sufficient androgen receptor binding occurring. We need no more androgen production endogenously. Mm-hmm. Got it. So one more thing I want to ask, and then I want to move on from morals is turinabol. Most often described is like a non-aromatizing dianabol. Um, all things considered, um, it is an anabolic androgenic steroid like any other that we're discussing. Um, uh, I'm pretty sure it came from Germany, the same place that um, methandinone would have came from, uh, possibly the same chemist, and that is um, Dianabol. It's been used in sports for years and years. There's nothing unique about it beyond other anabolics. You know, how is Because this is the thing that came with the UFC... Um, controversies people were I've, I've seen it called a psalm online um mm. as far as i know mm. there's nothing that's selectively androgen receptor binding about it um it's just a, a an altered synthetic molecule just like any other rural anabolic steroid to have anabolic properties um and i don't believe that it has any estrogenic activity and it's pretty much that simple right so it was still shut you down and you can still expect the same quote-unquote benefits <laughs> that you would from others i don't want anyone to misunderstand me here in terms of hbg axis function it isn't something that's going to be shut down continuously like that with a single dose of an androgen um you could use an or an, an oral anabolic steroid to transiently increase blood androgen levels for some myotropic benefit like a performance enhancement uh benefit and aggression benefit just transiently over short periods without permanently disrupting hpg axis function so if a fighter was going to use it three times a week at a sort of um bolus dose period around their sparring practice or their their or a fight or something like this that that could work and not cause permanent dysfunction that you would have to wait to correct that would occur via a continued exposure to increased blood androgen levels mm-hmm. got it and uh Okay, so this is one. Was this was my question that uh, let's say that someone does use for six to eight weeks at I don't know fifty milligrams something like that. Uh, how much time can they or how much time would they need to get back to a normal level, so to speak, roughly speaking? Fifty milligrams a day of an androgen. Yeah, 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 something like that. Forty to fifty. I think that's that's about as much as people use. I think that might not be as unusual as you might think. Um, <laughs> so, if someone was to try to regain HPG axis function, this is the the beauty, but also the downfall of of um, 
this world is there's a huge degree of inter-individual biology going on here um you can note in a lot of anecdote because as far as i know this has never been studied uh and when you if you were trying to look into the the pct thing you'd just be extrapolating from studies done on hypogonadal men from other causes so it's it's not really great data um in terms of bouncing back from um super physiological periods of anabolic use speaking purely from anecdote there's a huge degree of inter-individual biology at play um to the degree that some people never do after multiple years and to the degree that sometimes after a month of coming off of the oral because we really would need to be through multiple you know four to six half-lives of the drug before you could even begin to reinstate hpg axis function which for the oral isn't a long time you know let's just say for argument's sake that's that's five days um which is actually a lot longer than um a dianabol for example um within even just a few weeks people are absolutely fine and often will notice no negative issues um some people have ongoing issues for a long time so basically like if someone does do this for like a couple of months uh they will pretty much just lose whatever they gain because they have this period where they are just at zero um i think to speak honestly if someone was to continue living a bodybuilder type lifestyle by that i mean training and maintaining the strength that you had gained on that super physiological period of use um dieting at a sufficient amount of calories to stave off any proteolysis or muscle protein breakdown um i actually think that you could keep um the majority of your new skeletal muscle tissue but this is again highly individual depending on you know if you absolutely blew the doors off it and did a huge first blast and gained i don't know uh, 20 pounds of actual skeletal muscle weight the chance of you keeping that is fairly low but a thing to keep in mind is that satellite cell nuclei increase likely permanent in humans and that's going to come from exposure to androgens um but actual skeletal muscle tissue remaining increased beyond previous levels during the withdrawal from the anabolics um not a great chance um over time i think it would just diminish down slowly right right i see yeah i mean even 20 pounds sounds insane from or only it sounds far more than i would expect it i would expect maybe five to eight pounds <laughs> maybe if you were a, a genetic phenom and um gave it some welly on your first blast um maybe <laughs> you could do it i mean to be honest i've seen that happen um oh, wow. in people but the it's not the the typical case that's for sure right right okay so let's move on to the second scenario which is by far the most common one i see in gyms so uh so usually you know there are the naturals there are people who who you know <laughs> take instead of candy they might switch up their tic tacs with diana ball every now and again but the most common category is people who do their cycles and they use testosterone as a base and then um like i rarely see people use only testosterone but from what i hear you know 
they they use maybe testosterone plus masterone or trembolone or even all three of them. And this is the part I didn't understand. And from what I heard from you, you know, like guys like you or Dinsen Mart, I don't really understand. And that's why I'm asking you, the expert here. Like they, uh, they will do their, I don't know, three to four months long cycle, however long that is. And then they just completely, you know, come off. And I'm not, and this is the, the part that doesn't really, that, you know, I, I just can't comprehend. These are not guys who just do one cycle and then they, you know, I, I was just curious and I'm done. Like these are guys who are, have been using for years and foreseeably <laughs> will be using going forward in the future, you know. And what they do is basically they 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 gain this I don't know ten kilos of muscle or something like that, and um, I've seen just this happen last uh, last year. So I have I have a couple of guys in my gym, someone who actually competes, and I think his competitions ended um, late October, something like that, early November. So let's say it was November, and then he completely came off, and he's just started using, I think, mid-January, something like that. So we're talking November, December, January, so basically maybe 10 to 12 weeks of being at zero, like nothing. So they will wait their, you know, the half-life to pass. Um, they will wait their, I don't know, four weeks or something like that, five weeks, and then they will start their PCT, but they're at zero, you know, and I asked them and their reasoning was that, you know, if I uh, if I was on testosterone, uh, TRT, for example, in that period, then I would have the risk of, you know, I would um, I would be flirting or, you know, I would have this um, risk that my testosterone levels would never come back. You know, I would just get shut down permanently. So perhaps I would let it, let it over to you. What do you think about this? And... Uh, would you uh, advocate at using TRT still instead of, you know, being at zero? So going from this super high level, uh, I don't know, a gram of, or 600 to a gram of uh, combined uh, substance usage per, per week to zero, basically. So essentially, if we take that individual, they, so towards the end of a contest prep, most bodybuilders have swapped to these shorter ester compounds, um, and then towards the end, we're looking at oral use and, and bringing down serum estrogen, whether that be through reducing the estrogenic drugs in the stack design or using aromatase inhibitors or selective estrogen receptor modulators. Um, so at, at the end of this contest prep, when he would cease use, um, there probably hasn't been a longer ester used for quite some time. So his clearance rate of those anabolics is going to be pretty high. You can say with certainty for the majority of bodybuilders in a couple of weeks, um, there is going to be no exogenous um, hormone in his blood. Metabolites will be there, of course, um, but th there'll be no exogenous hormone in his blood. So HPG axis function and um, GnRH signaling could begin again at that point, yes, and um, he could begin the, um, in quotation marks, recovery period um so really he this individual is is saying to you that he feels it is a healthier approach to um come off maybe run uh, a pct try to regain his natural function as opposed to just dropping to a trt, TRT. dose yes exactly exactly ah okay um well we really dig into this subject with that podcast that I did with Callum the other day where we look at the the potential positive and negative effects of long-term TRT-type doses. Um, in a very shorthand way, 
if used properly, there is no long-term negative health effects of using exogenous testosterone that puts you in a physiological range. And I mean, <laughs> looking at it uh, very blatantly, why, why would there be? Um, why would there be a negative health outcome to having a normal testosterone level? Um, I guess his response would be because you're getting it from the outside, not from the inside. So if you, let's say, um, you have been using, you know, alternating between high doses, dosages and then TRT for like three years, then their concern is that uh, after three years, if you come off completely from anything and everything, then your own production will not start again, I think. So, yeah, my question would be one, is that to say that tamoxifen, clomid and HCG therapy to in an attempt to restart your physiological levels that you will then shortly be just shutting back down again on your next cycle is healthier than just using testosterone. It seems a very odd approach to use multiple drugs to try to fix the potential issues of another, you know? Mm. Um, makes very little sense and there's also going to be transient periods in that time that he is hypergonadal um, which comes with its own negative um, health effects mm. yeah, yeah yeah I mean I mean, I agree with you like <laughs> this was the same thing I said to him and this is just one side but what really scares me uh, so to speak is the drastical changes that you go through like these people I'm not exaggerating they look like a completely different human being like some of some of the guys, you know, they end up, I guess they still end up being bigger than me, but not by a large margin. But then, you know, once they're on, like, they just, like, freaks. And in, in a matter of months, I can't imagine that that's healthy for you, like, physically, but also, especially psychologically. Like, I wouldn't imagine, you know, what you, you go through uh, with this fluctuation. Like, um, I asked this guy, and he... Memory serves, I think he said that he was 87 kilos in contest shape. So that's, what's, let's say, the 6% body fat. And I think he said that right now he is at the same 87 kilos, 88 kilos, but he's more like 15% body fat or something like that. So we're talking about um, easily around a 10 kilo de body decomposition effect, you know. So basically, five to six kilos of muscle lost and five to six kilos of body fat gained. Mm. I think the biggest um, oddity of these scenarios is that, you know, potentially if if he had come to me and we were consulting, he said, "I really don't want to use anabolics ever again." Then we might be looking forward to. Or he said, "I require." spermatogenesis because fertility is a concern and, mm -hmm. and currently my my spermatogenesis or, or my sperm motility is very low because of my androgen use then it may make sense to take an alternative route however you know it is literally akin to me saying i want to take all these drugs to try and restart a system that in a couple of months i'm going to shut back down and then i'm going to do it all over again exactly <laughs> exactly that was my that was my my main issue as well so I, i'm glad to see that i'm not really far off that was my point like you guys are going to use anyway like you you can't wait like literally these guys tell me that oh my goodness i, I feel so weak oh my god being natural sucks natural you know not having this super physiological level <laughs> i come to the gym i'm tired i'm sleepy i don't have 
Uh, it's I worse than being natural I, because it's like <laughs> you are under physiological levels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But even when they recover and, you know, before they start, like they all they tell me is, you know, I can't wait to get on again. And I'm about to, you know, get back in shape, quote unquote, and this and that. So obviously there is... Uh, plans for long-term usage i mean and one of them actually has competitive aspirations so it's not like you know he just wants to look good for the beach like he obviously wants to compete and in that case especially why not use the rt and you know <laughs> be a regular human being in the time period right and, and pct in and of itself is is a bit of a, a strange it's, it's almost like an enigma of of hormone use um I mean, I'm not sure how much you want to go into this, but the actual efficacy, or at least the evidence for the efficacy of PCT is is nothing, you know? Mm-hmm. We're looking at this data, like I said earlier, from hypergonadal men, from things not driven by anabolics. Um, I mean, the, literally the only piece of data we have is a recent prospective observational trial. Um, it was conducted in the Netherlands with 100 bodybuilders using anabolics this was um passed on to me by peter bond you've probably seen his work yeah yeah um, yeah, yeah i think it, it's to be published fairly soon actually these were self-dose cycles with various compounds uh group averaging around a gram per week so this is a fairly average competitor kind of stack um and there was zero difference in recovery of testosterone levels or sperm count between those using pct and those that didn't so essentially what you're looking at as according to the current evidence is you are postponing recovery if anything and <laughs> transiently using drugs that have their own negative health effects yeah i mean that was exactly my thought process if uh let's say if you know I, i've been using and then uh the only time i would really stop is i said you know this is it this has been a mistake let's say i regret it or I, even if I don't regret it, I'm just done with this. I'm st- I'm tired of pinning myself every couple of days, so I just I'm coming I'm coming off, and I'll just suck it up and <laughs> go through suffer through this time period when I'll just feel like shit. Yeah, and I think to pull this right back to the beginning of maybe some people that are listening to this, your audience are, are maybe more likely people that haven't yet moved into the the hormone realm. In my opinion, and take this however you like, because I've been slandered for this, <laughs> maybe for the last 10 years. Um, but many people agree with me, and it's nice to see more people agreeing with me now, especially people like Dr. Dean, like you mentioned, because it's like, hey, look, this doctor agrees with me. <laughs> um, yeah. But it's like these hormones were made to be a lifelong medication. Mm. Um, if you're going to use hormones, just be aware, whether you like it or not, you will likely use them for the rest of your life. And that is the severity of the decision. Right. So one thing I, I I really want to ask you because you know TRT is usually regular in the regular setting. It's administered after the time period where people already have had their children, presumably like thirty five, four years plus. Now in my situation, I'm twenty five and I was I don't have children, but if I started using and then I let's say I decided at thirty that uh, I want to have children, how do I proceed? What do I have to do? And can I? have children because this is a really serious issue i was discussing it with some friends who i won't won't name here and we both have uh, this uh, exact concern that okay it's great but what if we do won't be able to have children yeah for sure um it's definitely a fair concern so spermatogenesis does decrease in a dose dependent action to androgens um so on a trt dose you may not see 
uh, I mean, remember, it only takes one. <laughs> you may not see um, yeah. a complete shutdown of spermatogenesis or sperm motility or, or anything required to, to be a fertile male. Um, but if prior to use, you already have some fertility issues, then they will absolutely be exasperated with androgens. And like I say, dose dependently. If you're going to blast higher doses of androgens, be aware that spermatogenesis will be, and note the word transiently, transiently reduced as long as you don't have any pre-existing conditions. Um, so it's not really a concern, to be honest with you. Um, you could drop back to TRT, check how things are looking. Are you still having an issue? Maybe we could come off TRT and see what your your LH and FSH does then, just transiently in that period while you want to be fertile. Still nothing? Well, let's use a drug that drives spermatogenesis in, in and of itself, like HCG. Okay, you know, again, we're sort of <laughs> biochemically hacking the system, so to speak. But um, it, it's, a, it's a rather a non-issue f for anybody that doesn't have a pre-existing condition. Mm -hmm. Right, okay. So that was very comprehensive. Thank you. Now... I want to get to the third and final scenario, which I honestly haven't seen anyone use in my gym or in general, uh, aside with one exception, which I will name in a bit, but it's something that I personally would consider if, let's say, I started using, this is the only situation I would use, because I'll be quite honest, I'm not really keen of using these high amounts, because obviously the safety concerns are magnified as you use more, and like I said, I... I'm I'm at a point, you know, where I think most people are who have been lifting for, you know, eight years like I have. Like, I'm satisfied with my size, but I would I really wouldn't mind being a bit bigger, but I wouldn't want to be, you know, 110 kilos. <laughs> right now I'm 90, so I wouldn't mind being, let's say, 100 in this body fat percentage or being 90, but, you know, far leaner or maybe 6% leaner, 7% leaner, something like that. So let's say another... another maybe six, seven kilos of muscle mass, something like that. Now, of course, I know that once you start using, you know, uh, usually what happens is you say that I'm, I'll only want to gain like six kilos and then you get there and you want another six kilos. But <laughs> hypothetically speaking, let's say I I will really be happy or and content with those six kilos. So what I've been thinking about is uh, using a higher dose of test. So not quite TRT, maybe TRT and a bit. So I'm sure you know who the Greg Doucette is. You've seen him uh, maybe on YouTube. Yeah, so Greg, I think, uses... Maybe 140 milligrams, he's on TRT, but that's, that's, I think, as far as I know, more than the regular TRT dosage, like more than you would produce on your own. Um, well, that, that will depend on the individual's response. Um, there's, a, there's a huge degree, actually, my TRT prescription was 200 milligrams per week, and that had me at about 800 nanograms, and that's on the higher end. Mm, but so then I know people, I have, so I have one client who's a young lad, who is, um, is he 19 years old? I think he's 19 years old. Um, and he has other issues that drives, um, that has driven his hypogonadism. And he has prescribed just 20 milligrams twice per week, minuscule dosage. And he sits at about the same as me. Um, mm, so the biological okay. individuality is huge. Got it. So, so I was looking at, you know, maybe 120, because, you know, I was looking at, you know, 250 milligram per one milliliter shot or whatever it's called <laughs> and uh, 
maybe half of that every five days. I think that's how test uh, longer esters are most commonly used. Anyway, let's let's put it more simply. Let's say I want to maybe double my natural level. You know, so let's say right now I'm at 700. I would like to be 1200 to 1400 nanograms per deciliter. I think that's the unit there. So obviously higher than my normal range, but not anything remotely, you know, obscene or anything like that. But with the caveat that I will be using this um, year round or potentially, you know, for a couple of years. Uh, how would you think that this approach would compare safety wise and efficiency, if efficacy and all that good stuff compared to, you know, let's say using four to 600 milligrams for, I don't know, three to four months and then going back to TRT for a couple of months and going back and, and repeating that cycle? It's, it's very hard for me to answer this in any kind of evidence-based context because it simply has never been studied. Um, however, as somebody that's worked in the field for years, I will say in my experience that it really boils down to X amount of androgen exposure over Y amount of time equals net positive slash negative result and the outcome mm -hmm. i think there would be very little difference between the two assuming that total milligrams per week are averaged out about the same mm -hmm. Got it. Mm -hmm. Got um, it. the issue being with those lower doses is that is that may not be sufficient to cause the kind of myotropic benefits that you're after and a lot of the literature we see that you don't really start getting great returns until you are quite a bit away from the physiological level hmm. Um, so being maybe just a notch above, you might not really be impressed. Huh. Um, huh. But then again, you may not see just about any negative health implications. Again, this is truly hypothetical because um, the, uh, the biological individuality in terms of side effects and, and negative effects of various health markers is also huge, which is the bane of anybody <laughs> that researches anabolics life um, because there's such a great variety but I mean there is with everything isn't there there is with hypertrophy training from everything from non-responders sure. to hyper-responders sure. there is in androgens as well um, ultimately this is a long-winded way of saying it's going to be a huge degree of self-experimentation with dose with duration with compound with administration frequency and the list goes on Mm -hmm. Got it. You know, it's interesting because, like I said, I was I was watching, you know, Greg Doucette and Greg was, well, was speaking of first personal experience. And, you know, he was using himself as an, as an example of, you know, I was at this much, uh, this many kilos and roughly this much body fat percentage using super high amounts. And here I am using only this TRT dosage. Um, and I'm a bit smaller, but not by this huge amount. And he was saying that, you know, even a small amount could yield, you know, basically the 80 20 rule, the Pareto principle, like, you know, 20% of the stuff is going to yield you 80% of the potential benefits. And that has been my process, basically, that, you know, if I could get, let's say, use a gram and gain 10 kilos, for example, why not use 200 milligrams and gain 6 kilos, but only have 20% of the potential risk, for example. Yeah, I mean, that is how androgens work. There's an inverted U response, and it's dose-dependent. The more you take, the bigger you're going to get, but also the larger net negative health consequence and the greater space between the risk-to-reward ratio is going to be. So you would dose depending on your goal and your individual response. So, I mean, one gram to me may not be one gram to you. 
So and and from a safety perspective, do you think that? Because uh, I don't know, I, I have this. Uh, I think I think I think you already already answered my question with the uh, milligrams per week averaged out over long term. Because you know, I was thinking that let's see if I only use two hundred year round and never go up to six hundred, but also don't come back to hundred to use round numbers. Then on average, my health risks might be lower. Um, uh, it would be a very hypothetical situation. I mean, if anything, you may just exasperate slowly building health issues that were never relieved at the lower dose. Um, one example could be uh, maybe at 200 milligrams, your hematocrit dips a little bit over that 55% and you never pull down and you never get a therapeutic phlebotomy, for example, and it continues to exasperate. Whereas maybe with a 600 milligram dose, you have that issue over 12, 16 weeks, whatever, and then you pull back to your TRT dose and it resets and comes down. So there are certain markers that that won't be true for. There are certain ones that it will be. Wouldn't be on the other end of the scale. Let's look at HDL suppression. So although we don't know what happens to the efflux of cholesterol with anabolics, whether that HDL is an issue or not, let's put that to the side for a second. We know that anabolics drop HDL, and let's hypothetically say that that is an issue. Um, you, you would... Um, drive that issue again when you pull down from the 600 milligrams to a trt dose you would have time for that to bounce back but let's say the hdl suppression is a little bit much on that 200 milligram dose and you never correct it right you know i, I was thinking of another example is george bridgman i, I use him because he's pretty public about this and i think from what i know he he has used as his first you know compound only testosterone at the pretty low dosage and from what i've seen like his two-year transformation was very very impressive i think it was around eight to nine kilos which would be you know <laughs> something i would be very much content with as well so i think he has been another uh, source of inspiration <laughs> so to speak of mine in the in the case of josh um, I mean, I don't know if you know, I know Josh quite well. Um, he is genetically inclined to grow muscle. Mm -hmm. he, he has phenomenal genetics and he responds very well to anabolics. He has a hyper response to a lot of things. Growth hormone being an example, he would take two units of growth hormone and his intra and extracellular fluid retention would fly up. I take two units of growth hormone and, and nothing would happen. You know, most people wouldn't even notice mm. it. Um, I, I believe, thinking back, Josh started on 250 milligrams of testosterone, which was a, a considerable um, a considerable superphysiological dose for him. And he reaped the rewards from that, as could 90% of people. Um, so, you know, mm -hmm. in that case, he certainly was dosing at a sufficient amount to get large returns. But just whether that dose would be a large return for you, Best guess. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, the the use the response is crazy. Like, um, well, I, I I know I can think of a guy right now who I, I swear to you I never would have guessed that he was on anything, and then later I found out that the guy actually has been on for like I don't know four months, and he has been using three substances and basically nothing. Like, but he also trains like like whatever. <laughs> so I'm not, I guess I'm not really surprised, but. Yeah, well, you know, there are these people that are just going to have low response to training, low response to drugs. In fact, Dr. Scott Stevenson used to have, a, I don't know if he still does, he used to have an excellent lecture on YouTube called Why You Don't Look Like a Pro. And mm -hmm. um, this I think is, I've seen it. Yeah, well, it's brilliant, you know, like all of Scott's work is. But um, yeah. 
he is a true genius. Um, but this is exactly what we're talking about here. This this large degree of into individual response, and you know, this is why some people like a Brandon Curry, he could probably sniff a dumbbell and gain thirty pounds. You know. So yeah, but also like. I understand this this thing, but but there's also the concern of people wanting the stuff, the results right now. Like as you probably heard that I was talking, I'm thinking about you know, putting on this muscle in in a couple of years. Like I'm not talking about putting on these six to seven kilos in twelve weeks, but most people that's what they want. They want it in twelve weeks, and they get to you know they start using these unreasonable dosages, and you know, first exposure, then they already run like three compounds or four. And it's just crazy to me. And yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, this is the thing. There's um, as I say, there's an inverted U. And take it from somebody that has really made this mistake in the past. Um, don't get me wrong. More is better until it isn't, and then it really <laughs> isn't. <laughs> you know, I've made some of my best progress on relatively lower dose periods of use, um, but just because that has left me feeling so good being very functional, still being able to sleep very well, training, being very progressive because I just didn't feel like shit all the time, you know? Like, I haven't used orals for a very, very, very long time. I used to try to use orals and they used to kill my appetite and then I used to not be able to eat and then wasn't gaining any muscle. It doesn't take a genius, does it? But, you know, when you're blinded, blinded by that, you know, I've been doing this for maybe six years um, and in that time, there have been periods I've really took the piss for example, um, you know, to be honest with you, and that was beyond my inverted U of response, you know. Um, I got up to my heaviest, most muscular weight in my last off-season on less than I'd used for, like, the last five years, so. Um, yeah, um, I don't know. I I guess I, I just have to... I, I'll be honest, like, it's Romania, so... Most people don't really do blood blood tests, and aside from you know every now and again that you have to perhaps apply for a job, and they do you know they require some labs, but they don't. No one requires free testosterone or free testosterone or sex hormone binding globulin or something like that. Um, so I don't. I have no idea how much I have, but simply going from you know quote unquote this anecdotal stuff, you know like. How, you know, there is this uh, notion that uh, might not be quite as accurate, that the more muscular you are, obviously your testosterone has to be higher. And there, I know there is at least one study I can think of where they try to correlate basically testosterone levels with muscularity and there hasn't been so um, such a clear relationship. Well, the basin studies do, do literally show a dose-dependent relationship between hypertrophy and, and dosage, that the highest dose group gain the most muscle. And these drugs are also measured in milligrams per kilogram per X period of time for a reason. You know, if you look at oxymethylone and burns victims, uh, you'll see that two to three milligram per kilogram per day type dose. Um, like many medications, the bigger you are, generally the higher dose you will require. Right. Um, so, so previously you said that, you know, the individual response will be tremendous. Do, are you talking about... Uh getting your blood test results to a certain level or what you get out of those levels both absolutely both there are people that maintain beautiful blood panels perfect echocardiogram never any issues on any urinalyses 
no matter what dose they've taken, because I've consulted with these people, assuming that they're being truthful with me, um, <clears throat> you know, um, and they just have perfect health panels, and there are people that have trashed health panels on very little. In the same vein, there's people that would take a very little dose. I've literally just spent the last few days with um, my wife's um, like best friend. She's an IFBB pro, and her... Um, someone that she knows who I was talking to who's a very large individual using very low doses almost like funny and he must weigh over 300 pounds um, oh wow and that's <laughs> and, and he hasn't in the past used more he's just one of those guys takes a little bit bang whatever it may be you know the various genes that are responsible like um, again Credit to Dr. Scott talking about the CYP3A4 gene and things like this that's responsible for the metabolism of testosterone and other androgens. Um, maybe their expression of these gene SMPs is just so great that they can take a very little dosage and get huge results. On the other hand, I've spoken to people that have got literally naffle out of fairly high-dose cycles. Mm. So it's all over the shop, really. Right, so so if someone wanted, you know, we have someone who is in my. Let's say I I someone want to use, um, what is like aside from the fact that you know you have to monitor things uh, on a on a regular basis, like how do you determine? Like you have to start somewhere. Like how do you determine? Do you like? Of course, you measure your natural levels first as a baseline, but from there. You you're looking at what maybe doubling it and then waiting or uh, well uh, I would argue here that actually serum androgen levels don't excuse me don't have a lot to do with what we're seeing ergogenically from these compounds because what we're seeing from these compounds is mediated post binding mm-hmm. so no matter how much is in your blood what is that molecule in your blood doing when it binds to the receptor and what kind of post receptor mediated effects is it going to have so it's less about how much is in the blood more about how it's used so there's not really any way that i'm aware of to objectively track this (laughs) it would have to be you know let's say you you come to me joe i want to gain some muscle or whatever i'm going to start taking 300 milligrams of testosterone a week so okay Let's watch what happens over the next eight weeks. Does your rate of progressive overload in the gym increase? Does um, anything regarding autonomic nervous system function change? Because androgens, there is some evidence that they are sympathetically driving in nature. So do, do we see an increase in sympathetic um, autonomic nervous system activity? Do we see a blood pressure increase, a resting heart rate increase? Um, does your physique change? Do you lose body fat? Do you gain muscle anywhere specifically? You know, um, do you have any sleep changes, any mood changes? Does your personality change? Um, any side effects? Do you have estrogenic side effects? Do you have androgenic side effects? And then from all of these pieces of a puzzle, we can work for many years to put together a perfect stack design that suits the individual for the end goal. Got it. Got it. So <laughs> basically, it comes back to to the stuff that pretty much you have to do even if you are not which is you know implement some sort of change wait for a period of time for it to take place uh assess and modify if needed and repeat well this is the funny thing because i think a lot of people see steroids as this like thing is like i don't have to think about that shit anymore i can just inject this and then you know i'm just gonna get big but like joke is 
you might inject and get nothing. <laughs> and now you've got another variable to worry about. Right, right, right. And uh, I see so many people who their their only response is just take more. Like, I'm not getting bigger, take more. I'm not losing uh, fat, add another fat loss compound. Like, pretty much every single decision that, uh, every response to every decision they have to make is uh, add more, use more, add another stuff. <laughs> yeah, well, there's a couple of interesting ways you can look at that. So, in that basin study, for example, the individuals that were treated with higher doses of testosterone but did not resistance train actually gained more skeletal muscle tissue than the individuals not using testosterone that did train. Yeah, you know, I, actually, now that you mentioned, I have to ask because I, I was I wasn't arguing. I just commented on Jorn Trommelens. Perhaps you've seen him on on on, uh, on Instagram. Jorn Trommelen, he's a PhD guy in Luke Van Loo's lab, mostly protein research. Nutrition tactics on on Instagram. Ah, I've seen that page. Yeah, right, right. So he he posted this uh, Bayesian study, and I, w- I said that you know how much of that is really water. Like, um, f- of course, like testosterone is you know ergogenic and un- uh, uh, I mean sorry, uh, androgenic and uh, and it causes water retention. And since it was measured with a DEXA, you know, like. And his his argument was that the people gained, uh, you know, strength, which is true. But even if you just gain body weight, you will gain strength. So yeah, I think there's a there's some confounding. So very yeah, I good think point. A, yeah, very good point. And that's what we what we consider when we look at the growth hormone research as well. There is still to this day no evidence that growth hormone adds actual skeletal muscle tissue, but a lot of um, lean body mass. Yeah. Um, which of course includes extra and intracellular fluid. Yeah. Um, but but on the other hand, those compensatory hypertrophy models on rats, where they were completely depleted of hormones, they had nothing, no IGF one, no testosterone, no insulin, no anything. But they were put under extremely rigorous training conditions. They still gained ungodly amounts of muscle mass. So training is extremely powerful. <laughs> Not to discount that. Right, right. Yeah. Training yeah, very, very a... hard, so to speak. <laughs> yeah. How much harder? How hard? Harder than last time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Cold 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 set. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's there's a lot to be said for um intensity of effort in training, I believe, but I suppose that's another yeah, yeah. Yeah, another yeah. topic. All right. So yeah, it's been a fascinating uh, fascinating this is a fascinating topic is which is not really a primary interest of mine, but still it's uh, you know, it's interesting to learn about it and educate myself and you know not just start using um, and even if i don't um i still it's still up in the air but you know it's still a fun topic and perhaps i can discuss it in the gym with someone and uh, i can laugh at them if they start doing something dumb but perhaps you know i can i can offer some some advice which people may or may not uh, listen to because you know most most people don't really ha- listen to english uh, content so uh, unfortunately, they won't probably won't listen to this podcast that we did together, or they won't listen to anything that you or Doctor Dean will do. So, I just uh, we have to we have to you know we're stuck with Romanian content, which unfortunately is by far not the best. So, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, like I said, it's it's mostly irresponsible usage. Like, not many people use it responsibly. You know. Very, very few people do blood tests. Um, it's just basically, I want to get big right now. 
Um, not to mention people starting it very early on, like literally months into their training. Like at the at the first signs of stalling, their response is okay. I just start pinning some. I just start using some trombone, and that will solve my problems. Well, you know, yeah. it's understandable because it's, it's very alluring. You know, if someone said to me, because my goal with training was always to be huge. I, I didn't start training with the goal to just look better. I started with the goal to look huge. And if somebody had said to me, and I suppose they did in a way, you know, um, hey, you know, pin this thing and uh, you could grow exponentially faster than you already are. And me being <laughs> maybe young and, and a bit impressionable, I'd have thought, yes, do that. You know, so um, it's great these days that we have more people um, devoting their time to at least um, educate if people are willing to listen. Yeah, and that's that's a that's a very big if. <laughs> All right, so that was episode fifty of the Muscle Ninja podcast with Joe Jeffrey. Hope you enjoyed it, and I hope you learned something from it. Now, before we end the episode, I want to leave you with a couple of final messages. There's not going to be one, you know, takeaway or stuff like that because I think the episode's been very uh, practical one by due to its nature and also. You should probably just listen to the entire thing if you're interested in the subject. Um, what I will leave you with is the, you know, sort of a caution that, you know, these substances are not, they are not a joke. They are not something to be taken lightly. They are literally hormones that can affect your entire physiology and your health long term. So, first of all, if you do want to use them, don't. But if you do want to use them, don't. But if you really want to use them, then you should probably find someone who is really knowledgeable, someone like Joe, a good endocrinologist who can take care of you. If possible, you know, start low. Even Broderick Chavez has a saying, lower and slower is always better, something like that. So if you can get away with a couple hundred milligrams, don't take a gram. Don't start taking grams of trembolone. It's probably not going to be good for you. And if you do start taking it, accept the idea that it's probably going to be a lifelong commitment. So weigh that consideration very carefully before you do start to use it. So that's been episode 50. Uh, As always, if you have questions, suggestions, stuff like that, you can find me on Instagram or Facebook. If you're interested in coaching or consultations, I'm, of course, available for those. You can shoot me an email or, again, send me a DM on any of those uh, social media platforms that will also be linked in the description. Thank you, and I will talk to you all in the next episode.